Well, hello and welcome to another of these Didicate Conversations, where I speak with church leaders, planters and members from all over the place about all things Jesus and church. And the hope is that we have our vision of Jesus and his church enlarged, especially as we look to the wisdom of the church of the past to be the church of the present. In the last episode, I spoke with Josh Bailey about church as the harvest of Jesus fixing everything. And also about how we take a humble posture towards other Christians, even those whom we disagree with. Josh, it's great to have you back with us. Thanks, Sam. It's so good to be back. Thanks. Fantastic. Well, listen, Josh, tell us a little bit about your church context. Well, so I'm a Church of England minister, which means, uh, unfortunately, that almost always you have more than one church family to look after. And uh, I have three, uh, although one of them is... Well, it's grown by maybe 30%. Uh, but hey. that's because the initial congregation was five people. So uh, you know, <laughs> that's one of the three. But it, it definitely requires more sort of input pastorally than that. Mm. And it's also been one of the ones where there's been the most encouragement. So, you know, no, no despising small congregations. And I, I imagine there'll be some listening here who have small congregations or are starting with small congregations. So that's some encouragement. Um, they, they were sort of brought together. Um, when uh, all three were sort of in a quite difficult situation and one particularly which is kind of the one I spend most of my time on um, had sort of uh, withered really through um, the the guy before me uh, getting quite ill uh, being off sick for a long time uh, and then the pandemic so it was really during the interregnum it was sort of 20 very faithful people um keeping it going with not much ministerial support or sporadic ministerial support. Um, and uh, it, the whole sense of that church and also the five person church and a little bit the other church, which is like a whole other thing. Um, it's kind of last chance saloon, really. Like, and, and what happens when you get like that, when you can't basically pay enough money for a vicar in the Church of England, you either get others bolted onto you or you end up losing your post. So you only get like a half time or whatever. And it's, it's just the whole thing is basically now you're, you're circling the drain and, and you're going to be gone soon. So that was sort of where it was. Then there was some money from uh, the Central Church of England, which I think anyone who's been in Church of England ministry, I think Mike Walker talked about this as well, um, strategic development funding. Uh, but the way this has particularly happened in Suffolk is something called the Lightwave Community, which is, has a bishop's mission order across the whole of the diocese. So it's like you, if you're part of this, you can church plant anywhere you want, anywhere you want. Um, which is pretty big and the big thing that they want to do is uh, lightwave groups which are kind of uh, uh, this is where it gets terminology and stuff uh, fresh expressions all that kind of stuff like uh, it, it's very much part of all that in the Church of England but my post is sort of a new thing because they're mashing that bit which is all about evangelism and like doing church not necessarily in the building all that stuff um, alongside being a parish priest to use the phrase that is used and that's particularly uh, an interesting sort of clashing together because one of those three churches, I think I mentioned last time, uh, is an Anglo-Catholic parish that has passed a resolution saying they only want men uh, presiding at communion, particularly. Uh, so there are some complementarian churches in the Church of England that say um, we don't want women bishops because that's our conviction from the Bible. There are others like this one who say, uh, because of tradition, we not only don't want a woman presiding at communion, but we want someone who won't ordain women, 
we want someone who has never you know it, it's it's kind of it's their particular attempt to preserve that part of that church tradition um so it, it's it's a really interesting like holding those three situations together um in terms of like the 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 service that they used to there's like very traditional book of common prayer service um that that's the way mettingham which is the five person church runs um and at barsham this anglo-catholic we actually sing the book of common prayer service every sunday uh with robes and and one sunday a month with incense so i, I don't know how many people are still going to be listening after this so uh that's going on and then the, the the bigger one that was kind of on its last legs 20 people holy trinity bungie um they sort of took on this whole job saying everything needs to be different we know that and uh you know service time service style music um like approach to the bible role of the sermon everything's up for grabs and unusually in church revitalizations which i think we've said we might talk about that has actually proven to be true um part of the reason that i wanted to go here and i've, I've told people this is if people have have accepted that they don't really know what to do um you, you are given such an opportunity to to love them and value them without having to value their agendas because they, they don't have them anymore <laughs> you know there aren't any people who are saying if only we could do this everything would be better they're saying we don't actually know what to do <laughs> and and one of our verses uh for a week of prayer that we did when i first arrived was uh two chronicles 20 verse 12 awesome verse jehoshaphat is like being borne down upon by it might be the arameans or something or i can't actually remember which enemy it is but he just says we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you <laughs> and and then immediately after that someone like is is gripped by word of the lord and says it's all right it's all going to be okay and but actually that prayer such a good prayer we don't know what to do <laughs> but our eyes are on you heavenly father lord jesus christ holy spirit and um that's been like a major prayer for us um and the thing is i felt like the church were, were with me in it they, they didn't come in saying right because you are i don't know uh uh younger than the last guy <laughs> younger <laughs> notice um because you've got kids uh then obviously what you will be doing will be this uh there's a little bit of that but far less than there has been in a lot of other similar situations and if they've already got the script for you it just ties your hand massively um, and, uh, you know, I think that's something that church plants, as you've got on, have said, like, it's it's good to sort of have a clean sheet. Um, but there are downsides. Whereas I think here it, it's not a clean sheet, but it's a a place of humility that is willing to try new things. And I, I that was just such a winning combination for us mm. coming in. Um, so we're really thankful for the context, but it, it does present some challenges let's put it that way yeah. i can imagine i can imagine i oversee two churches here but you're overseeing three churches that talk to us about your role in that and mm. how you approach navigating leading three seemingly very different yeah. church congregations and you just said there that there was there's someone said we don't know what to do do you know what to do have you got a vision for what you want <laughs> to do uh you know what what are some of those priorities well in your life and ministry yes and no that's the cool thing like <laughs> basically jesus like that's kind of it exactly. like if, if we just talk a lot about him and and that's the other thing like nothing's happened so just like i mean just some testimony recently from some people including in the five-person congregation 
like um one guy uh who's read the bible all the way through i didn't ask him to do it he just heard that i was and and was like i'm gonna do that <laughs> it was incredible and, and he he still t- he's in our home group he still talks about how eye-opening it's been particularly to see that the whole bible is about jesus that was his big thing that he got and and the fruit from that one thing in his life and because he's he's um I, I want to sort of protect him everything. He's a very respected member of the community here who has given his all to this tiny church family. And actually, he was saying in home group recently, he is doing evangelism with all the dinner parties that he gets together. When he gets these sort of sits on these council boards and things, he talks about the Bible that he's just read through and how interesting he's finding it. And and that wasn't me having a big vision for what he was other than let's just lift up Jesus and, and do that every opportunity. And And I guess... If that's the big thing, you know, church is the harvest of Jesus fixing everything. So let's make sure we show off how brilliant he is and, and yeah. make sure we're noticing the ways he is fixing us. Actually, that leads to lots of other smaller decisions, such mm-hmm. as I'm not actually going to insist on a program in any of these places. Um, as far as possible, if there's something good they're doing, I want to try and do it well and and work within it to show them how much potential is within it. Because one of the cool things about these Anglican churches is they ha- they are sitting on gold mines in terms of liturgical tradition, in terms of um, a sacramental appreciation. A lot of the stuff that evangelical churches are trying to rediscover, these sort of old liberal Catholic churches, they've, all, they've got it. You don't need to establish that. The thing that perhaps is missing is any sense of it meaning anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think this is one of the major things that I wanted to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my sort of ministry in, in very conservative evangelical churches to me and, and then what I was trained to do was focused on breaking habits. Mm-hmm. It was you are addicted mm-hmm. to your devices. You're addicted to porn. You are um, out of control sexually or whatever. You are um, not doing evangelism enough. You're, you know, bottling it when your friends say something that you don't like. You you are going out and getting drunk and you need to stop it. You know, there's all these things that you have basically imbibed from the world and you just need to stop it right now. And and all the energies on that and any habits that might be good are not really noticed. You know, there's a little bit on trying to force people to have a quiet time, but it's mostly like force of will and and all the messages like I think uh, your uncle has has talked about this. All the messages are that like the Bible is like really quite bad tasting medicine that you have to force down, you know, and, mm. and you have to sort of make yourself do it every morning. And and of course, there are elements of that, like, you know, um, it, you're not always going to be desperate to open the scriptures and things. But um, something that has been awesome here is just saying, OK, you have some habits uh, like how you do communion, like the liturgy that you appreciate, like always having two readings in a service, um, always doing the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, when you pray, you generally use like a set prayer, like uh, the Collet for Grace um, or uh, the Collet for Aid Against All Perils. Uh, Light in our darkness, we beseech thee, O Lord, and by thy great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of thy only Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. It's glorious, man. Like that's yeah. that's the end. That's the last collet you pray at evening prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. And they'd much rather do that than me sort of go extempore or whatever. So with these habits that exist, Rather than like trying to say, oh, you're, you're being ritualistic, you're not really into Jesus, you know, it's a dead empty thing, which is what I think previously I would have said. It's much more like, oh, yeah, these are great, aren't they? And, and have you seen that there's some days in the calendar that actually um, the church is always celebrated and people are like, oh, yeah, OK, that's interesting. Saints have done it. Tradition says do it. 
okay, maybe we'll give it a go. Or like there's this book that the Church of England has, Daily Prayer. Let's use that and meet every morning in some shape or form across the benefice. Um, so, so our pattern of prayer at the moment that began when I arrived, do a common worship daily prayer from a red book, any Anglicans listening, um, which is slightly more modern language, but still very liturgical and formal. Do that on a Monday. Then Tuesday, we go to Mettingham, do a common prayer, morning prayer. Wednesday, we go to Barsham, the Anglo-Catholic one, do a common prayer, morning prayer. Then go on and do a communion service, which is there anyway. Um, and then Thursday is like a toddler group, which is not quite morning prayer. There's, there's a complicated reason for that. And then on Friday, we've got like a convent down the road from us. So I ask people to go and pray with the nuns because uh, mm. that's the day I usually take off. And suddenly, by building on a habit and an assumption that you use the book uh, in your Christian life, because, you know, we want to submit to church authority. We want to honor tradition, even if we don't understand why. And if we're not quite sure, we believe it. Suddenly, these people are praying like most days mm. <laughs> and, and all three churches are all praying. You know, I think Mike said, um, he says, let's pray just before he reads out all the liturgy. And and that's certainly been our approach as well. It's like all of it counts, you know, like th th there isn't this kind of you've got to really mean it and you've got to say it incredibly articulately and fit in all these memorized bits of scripture in order for it to count and be like authentic praying. It's just assumed that if people have been bothering with church in any shape or form, that's good and and trying to shape it to be more focused on Jesus will be worth doing and and kind of gives you your structure and gives you your priorities and and then um people start inviting people which has been happening um that there are people who i think have been curious uh about what we've been doing uh who've heard who perhaps weren't in a church for a while stopped going to church during pandemic and started coming back and joining us um there are people that um i've met particularly through all the normal parish priesty stuff you do like uh baptisms uh funerals and weddings who now are coming to church regularly and are just really enjoying it um i so so uh, one thing is like working with the habits people have rather than constantly trying to tell them off for the way they're living and let those better habits shape all the other ones that aren't good like you know not bothering to come to church and things like that um but uh i guess another thing is I really, thanks to a lot of the people who've been on this podcast already, a lot of the people who've been on this podcast already, um, I really think this stuff is the best thing in the world. <laughs> like talking all the time about Jesus and preaching him from the scriptures and discovering how he brings meaning and purpose to life. That is actually a thing that is worth talking about. And, and the packaging is not really that important then. So you go i'm happy with going with the path of least resistance in terms of like and, and i don't want to call it packaging like uh your series looking at each element of the service all of that's there but it's there for you in the anglican church you, you've been given it to you you, you don't have to yeah. work out what we're going to do you just work within the brilliant framework that we've inherited mm -hmm. and that no one's arguing with because they're all anglicans and and when you work Sorry, go on. I've talked well, too much. I was, no, 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 because there's so much I want to ask you. But just to pick up on something there, why why, why is there sometimes this scepticism of habits? You know, you talked earlier about in conservative evangelical circles, we can focus on breaking bad habits, but perhaps are nervous about establishing new yeah. and good habits. Um, but also perhaps a scepticism also of liturgy. 
discussing there? So the salty answer is because we are all over overeducated and proud. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's mm-hmm. that's the short salty answer. It's like, okay, well, I've gone and got this degree, so anything that comes for Christian, it comes from effort and from my sort of swatting and thinking and pouring over like every nuance of every word in the Bible. And then I will come up with the answer and probably I'll come up with an answer no one else has thought of, you know, like that. that's definitely how I have thought in the past. And I've come across that. Um, so that's part. That's the like salty, basic answer. I think the more complicated answer is we, we've turned the, the presence of indwelling sin and the war between the spirit and the flesh into a constant critique of every religious practice we ever do. Mm. And if we remain in control of it, we can try to sort of convince ourselves it's authentic by by force of will and stirring up of emotion and all the sound people who tell us it's good. So so if someone comes along and says, um, right, this series of worship songs are re- the real deal. They're not like uh, fluff. They're not Jesus, my boyfriend. These guys say they're good. Or Or if it's like this person has said, these are the, n-. sorry, I nearly said the number. Uh, I don't have any particular problem with this particular guy who specifies a certain number of marks of church. Right. <laughs> um, you know, if if you if you, you do these things, you're doing it right. And and I'm going to keep issuing like manuals about how you're supposed to do it. And if you follow these tools for reading the Bible, you are doing it right. And the reason is because a lot of really clever people and a lot of really godly people and a lot of really famous people have have looked at it and worked out the right way to do it. And basically, it can't just be actually church has sort of worked on this over a long period of time. And the people who live before us have made a lot of mistakes. And those mistakes, the things that have kind of lasted from all the maelstrom are probably the things worth doing, which is basically all tradition is. I think it's like the stuff that has stood the test of time through lots of Christians going through the same struggles we go through. Instead of that, it's like we have to to be the solution to all the problems that have defeated everybody else. And and I think that is definitely like drinking in the attitude to everything at the moment. That's the attitude we have to the pandemic. That's the attitude we have to climate change. That's the attitude that we have to education of our children. It's we are going to, by force of will and by sort of raiding what everyone else has said, come up with the perfect synthesis that will solve it forever. And we're Christians, so we'll never solve it. Semper reformanda. So actually, we just do that all the time and we never actually settle and realize this is a good thing because because if we settle, we're in a rut and our faith has gone cold and there's no zeal anymore and all that kind of stuff. So so I think that's that's why we resist habits. Um, I think in terms of the practices themselves. So a lot of it is to do with like some stuff that we're not persuaded by, uh, like um, uh, using your body in a way that conveys something that is a bit hard like inchoate and hard to define so so what are you really doing when you cross yourself are you marking yourself with the sign of the cross are you warding away demons are you praying you're going to score a hat trick as you go on as you know uh latin american midfielder (laughs) you know Mm. like there's so many different things that could mean and you can't tie it down so because it could mean lots of things that you don't want you just say well we mustn't do it and it's it's redolent of a whole attitude to christian discipleship similar to what was going on last week that if you can't pin it exactly down it's bad (laughs) 
and and I, we understand where that comes from. Don't we? You know, the scriptures are the scriptures. They're not, you know, um, uh, some some paintings. Or I, I, well, that would be great actually. You know, there are some paintings like icons and stuff, but like it, because it's a written word, we assume that it's kind of rigid and and formal and uh, you know immovable and and non-organic and uh, that's created this atmosphere where we're always on edge and feeling like we have to constantly reinvent our spiritual practices and certainly we can't let our minds stop working because the moment we do that we are in an empty ritual we are basically paying indulgences and praying for the dead and causing the catholic church's decline <laughs> you know like we, we have that as like a kind of echo and memory of and, and i mean people have written much more wisely than i have about this i think james k smith stuff's good uh i think I think people are beginning to wake up to this stuff, but it's not, it's not for nothing that we rejected praying with liturgy, doing things because you do them rather than because you've agonized about whether you should and have concluded that today, this is the best thing to serve Jesus with your heart, soul, mind uh, and strength. Um, yeah. It's something I'm still working out to be honest, because I'm mm -hmm. definitely, that's still where my heart is. Like I overthink everything. You see how much I talk and caveat everything that that's the way that I am and learning to just shut all that stuff off and, and trust that this thing that has been given by Jesus through his church is actually going to shape and change me just by doing it without that intense intellectual effort. That that's, mm -hmm. that's almost a battle, but I think I'm so exhausted with all the effort of what I've just talked to you about, which I've definitely done it's still a relief you know so i think at the moment relief is winning and it certainly makes me a less angsty minister um and less inclined to think that that the goal for this disciple that i'm trying to make in obedience to the great commission is to be a very highly strung hyper hyperacademic nervous wreck you know which is what you know i don't think anyone wants that but that's often what we produce isn't it you know like or else somebody feels guilty that they're not that I just wonder if we can bring some of this stuff together. Just a quote uh, I came across uh, by Justin Whitmill Early, who wrote The Common Rule. It's a helpful book in many ways. And he says, our habits of attention reshape our loves. We are formed by what we gaze at. Um, maybe we could put forward a, a positive case for, for these good habits, which enable us to get our attention fixed on Jesus and speak mm -hmm. about him. In particular, I mean, Bible reading, You've already talked about that that guy who committed himself to reading the Bible and enjoyed it. And actually, my own story actually is one in which I was, I don't know what really where I was as a Christian uh, during my teenage years, um, at, at, at best sort of drifting, certainly hadn't been discipled, hadn't heard much really about these, these habits of following Christ. And actually following him is, yes, demolishing those old ways of living and thinking, but rebuilding these new Christ-centered ways of living and thinking and it, it, it was actually uncle paul <laughs> who sat me down and basically for for several months just started working through genesis one with me and just mm. saying the bible is all about jesus and that truth combined with the practice of of reading the bible and i'm not saying in a pharisaical way there's a way to read the bible and completely miss the point but reading the bible expecting mm. to meet jesus and expecting to receive life from him uh, yeah. day by day, that transformed my life. Awesome. Um, could you comment on, on any of that? In, in that sense, our testimonies are similar, really, because uh, it, 
almost everything I could say about this has been said better by people already on this podcast on this podcast so uh I I commend people and, and some of the stuff that I don't think has been mentioned that I'd commend about habits um there's a daily mind management course by Paul Beckham which is brilliant uh I think it's 20 quid or something it's brilliant about establishing godly habits um there's uh also by uh him is uh, the frameworks course uh which is just brilliant at um challenging the notion that we are sort of in control of our spiritual growth uh it much more it's sort of how you get yourself out of the way and allow yourself to be changed um i think uh weirdly going back to the example i think some of these like my uh director of ordinance uh jeremy crossley um in london again i hope you won't mind me mentioning him um very gently introduced the idea that um Prayer doesn't mean more if you make it up. Mm. And that that one idea is so, because mm. that's slightly different from liturgy is good. It, it go, goes further than that. It's not just saying, yeah, liturgy is great and I'm going to do it very diligently and everything. It's like saying words that others have prepared actually is, there is no theological reason why that is worse. And 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 Isn't really, we all wouldn't we well, say it's even biblical, right? Because you really, I mean, what are the Psalms? But that, you know, and and so often we're we're encouraged to read scriptures aloud. I think meditating is almost certainly it's muttering, isn't it? Like that's the the, the root of the word. It means you have to sort of say it, and you have to hear yourself say it. And um, I I think just once you grasp that idea that actually being fully active is not where like fully mentally active whatever that means being sort of totally a thousand percent concentrating like you know um because we are distracted by netflix and multiple devices and emails and phones buzzing and things our our assumption is that we have to just sort of do the b-side of that and like really intensely look at one thing like read one epistle over and over and over again and and then and you know craft an incredibly sort of articulate and glorious prayer and it, it has been very liberating jeremy crossley was one person who, who did say this to say um deliberately just pray it and don't worry about whether you mean it <laughs> like you know um uh, and if you model that i'm talking kind of about personal habits for me but when you start to say we're all going to say this prayer together that affirms others in their habits it's like you don't have to somehow work something up that doesn't feel like it's within you you can do this thing that requires reading and setting aside a bit of time and is often short is often you know repetitive is often um at particular times of day you know all this stuff that the church has done for years and and of which there are many different options all kind of with the same basic assumptions becomes available to you personally but also to congregation and it means if they're into celtic daily prayer you know i kind of think that's probably good like there are some of those prayers are not my favorite prayers i feel like they're a bit woolly or whatever but the fact that they're doing it every day because they love jesus becomes a really positive and good thing you know um the fact that being in the same place every day uh, because you want to pray becomes a really good thing. 
rather than a crutch or whatever. Um, making sure that you are receiving communion regularly becomes, with, with, of course, with the rest of the church as well, becomes not um, something you have to do because otherwise you'll get in trouble. It becomes taking Jesus seriously when he says, let me sort of shape how you think, you know, come and learn from me. My yoke's easy, my burden's light. You're, you're, you're doing things in obedience to him that he has said will help you learn him. Uh, just simply, I, uh, it, it's hard to sort of really articulate it. Yeah, go on. Sorry, carry on. No, no. It's just, I, I think some people can hear talk like this and think, well, look, I don't want to be robotic. I don't want to be repetitive. And at worst, I don't want to be like the Pharisees. And the key is, I think, what you've just said there, that that these things, prayer, scripture, any of the, these other habits that we, we see in scripture, whether it's gathering with the people of God, taking communion, even fasting, and those Jesus is at the center mm. and he's the one at work through these things. I think that was the revolution for me when it came, first of all, through that those conversations with Uncle Paul about the Bible, realizing that the Bible's all about Jesus, not about me. I yeah. think once you get that and then apply that principle, if you like, to everything else, what you realize is like, again, with worship, worship is not primarily about me. It's no. not about what I'm bringing to God first and foremost. Yes, I get to offer him my my prayers, my praise, but it's in response to what he gives to me. Yeah. When I open the Bible, I'm opening God's word to receive life from yeah. Christ. I mean, yeah. that again, going back to the Pharisees, that's Jesus' big thing there, isn't it? John yeah. 5, 39, 40, verses that blew my world apart. Yeah. Where, where he says, you you guys, you guys, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that in them you'll possess eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have mm. life. And then seeing that when we come to communion, you yeah. know, when we come to prayer, it's all about coming with open hands to receive what the Lord has for us which is exactly what the pharisees didn't do could i something i've been thinking quite a lot about in relation to this is and, and uh, I, the only way i'm going to be able to say it is like caveats i'm sorry about that if it becomes convoluted but the line between that bad ritualism and good ritualism is actually quite subtle and i'm not sure it's always our job to make sure we're the right side of it <laughs> if you see what i mean so um I think it is possible for ritual to begin badly and become better or to begin well and become bad. Yeah. Um, it, church is basically the answer, you know, in the sense mm -hmm. that if we're doing it with others, then actually Jesus comes and meets with us. You know, mm -hmm. he walks among the lampstands. Uh, he's with his bride. Um, I think ritual tends to become, it, it's almost more dangerous to ritual when it's a personal thing because it, it can become a superstition. That is something I am susceptible to. Um, so I have a prayer list and if I don't pray it all the way through on a particular day, I am susceptible to feeling guilty and like I've let Jesus down and it's a problem. And the only way I get out of that is by regularly talking with church about it and them saying, don't be stupid, you know, uh, or, or, you know, that verse in James where it says, uh, a double-minded man should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, mm -hmm. um, or blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Um, amazing sermon from your uncles. It, he just simply dealt with that by saying, yeah, yeah, of course your motives are mixed up. He's not like that. You know, of course you've got, sometimes you don't really mean it. Sometimes it's not like coming from a place of absolute wonder and worship. 
just do it anyway. Like, you know, I, I, the, the evangelical spiritual outlook is populated by demons who are constantly piggybacking on everything you do from a pure heart and turning it into, you know, satanic evil. And, and that's the atmosphere. It's like, and, and our response to that, instead of just throwing ourselves on the mercy of Jesus and doing something in all our mess and all our inconsistency and all our ritualism and all that, which is exactly what the Pharisees weren't doing, we choose to be Pharisees and like, no, I'm going to make sure it's proper. You know, the, Paris, the Pharisees were studying the Bible and making sure they got it right. They had the Midrash in one hand, the Talmud in the other hand, and they were like, we are going to make sure we really listen. And the very attempts they made to make it authentic made it totally inauthentic. So I, I think it's a lot to do with, with that attitude of heart that just says, I'm totally at your mercy, Jesus. And, and somewhere we lost the idea that us taking total charge of all these habits and making sure they were authentic is taking ourselves out of the mercy of Jesus. And and maybe there'll come a time where we're all obsessed with ritual and actually we've taken ourselves out of, you know, everyone's like checking to make sure you said the prayers right and you paused at the diamonds in the red book. And, you know, I think cathedrals can be a bit like this. It's like, oh, well, you, you said the wrong passage this Sunday, but, you know, it wasn't in the lectionary. You know, there is, or, or you wore the wrong thing, or, you you know, there was another thing where it was like a Catholic priest apparently has been baptizing people wrong for ages because he said we rather than I when mm. I baptize you and they we back and now they're all invalid or something I I get it because you want to do things properly and you want to honor the traditions and stuff but but who has Jesus become then he has become like the Pharisees God who you know the best of them are terrified of getting it wrong and that's why they're behaving the way they're behaving and and he's not like that you know it's as simple as that that's not the way jesus is he, he doesn't reward people who stress and are desperate to get everything exactly right whatever that means uh, he's much more interested in childlike obedience and trust which is actually better expressed at the moment in our evangelical culture i think by just saying a prayer because the church has given it to us to say you know i, I think do you see what i mean so it's, it's the line is is close but it's actually quite straightforward the fact yeah. that the two practices could be either thing doesn't mean that it's confusing which one you're doing you know <laughs> but perhaps our tendency is to let fear stop us from doing exactly these things yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and like say down the line it might there might be another um angle on this that the church is wrestling with but right now that's where we're at yeah so, I think so yeah reclaiming the, the these habits of of grace but putting jesus at the center mm. and coming with that that posture of actually like doesn't really matter how i'm coming it's just i'm coming and i'm coming to jesus um that's so helpful and i just wonder particularly around like we talked about liturgy we talked about prayer and i've noticed too in myself and my own story but again an aversion to set prayer which we've already said you know if you've got a problem with set prayer you're gonna have a problem with the psalms you're gonna have a problem with the lord's prayer do you think we need a sort of theology of words and a, rec- a recognition of the power of even just speaking words out because um the reality is we live in a you know some some people say it's a post-christian culture um and you know, we go out into this world and and we're constantly we're surrounded by noise and lots of words that are not christ-centered and we are going to be formed and shaped by those i um read recently that particularly in cities, 
people can see up to 4,000 adverts a day. Yeah. Um, you know, and you just look at some of the, the hits, the hit counts on the or view counts on these YouTube videos, and there's just a lot of a lot of words coming out. Uh but and if we're not combating that, if you like, uh with the word words about Christ from the scriptures, from other Christians, from these set prayers, these glorious set prayers, I think we're gonna be formed in worldly ways would you would you comment on that absolutely um i mean that that i think uh, but we both read james k smith you are what you love that is his big thing and, and i actually worked in advertising for a while and mm. uh, one of my favorite things is to notice uh, words that mean nothing uh, in um, <laughs> uh, so an example is um made in the heart of lancashire or something and uh, that means like in a factory that happens geographically to be like, I don't know, you know, in a city somewhere. Like there's, That could there's describe this... me, I think. Uh, mate, yeah, you're I in the heart like... of Lancashire, which means if you're a butter, you're obviously better or something, you know. And, and I think as soon as, uh, yeah, the, the great temptation, like there's that Psalm 12, isn't there? Like, um, you know, uh, save me from lying lips, you know, uh, let me just get there. Um, this is not actually just a modern thing. I think that's, that's, the issue perhaps with saying about the 4,000 messages and stuff. Like, I, I think the devil has, has not got sort of better at this necessarily. Like may, maybe he's got more prolific, but not, not any better or worse. Like he's always been doing this. So uh, Psalm 12, uh, help law for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. Because that's the problem with words that don't mean anything. They're lying, aren't they? Like mm. if, if words don't mean anything, then they they must be lies because words in order to function have to actually mean something and have a real referent. I mean, they have to have a grounding in the word, the Lord Jesus, you know, like he's the the one who gives ground and meaning. There's uh, C.S. Lewis did a very cool thing about that. Um, uh, it was one of his essays talked about how actually the way we know what words mean is because Jesus kind of... Um, gives us logic and meaning first mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. every word uh, and bart followed that on as well i've been reading him recently uh he's very big on making like and repetition is one of the things that he uses just he'll say the word lord so many times and and give so many different other words and the whole purpose of all those words is to make sure you really understand what you mean when you say that jesus is lord you know and, mm -hmm. and the scriptures are like that and the liturgy is like that it's kind of if we're surrounded by words that mean nothing, the scriptures, I mean, here's the rest of Psalm 12, um, uh, verse six, the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Wow. You know, <laughs> and, and that sense of being refined, it's like again and again and again, you know, if you say the same word over and over again, it starts to sound weird. Actually, mm -hmm. that's not true for some of the words that Jesus gives us, which is why we have to hear it so many times. Um, something that I think uh, my wife and I have been thinking about in relation to parenting. Um, often the thing that makes it so hard is you just have to repeat yourself mm -hmm. before they get it like thousands of times. Like I want to reason it out to them. And I'm like, if I say it once and they don't understand it, I try and say it in a different way next time. As if the reason that they didn't get it the first time was because somehow I used the wrong words and I need to use better words. Whereas actually it's a lot more simple than that. We just need to hear the same thing a lot, <laughs> you know, and, and again, it's that sense of taking down the sense of intellectual effort 
and rediscovering what these words that we think we know actually mean. And just going back to scripture reading, like um, you talked about the power of speaking out the words and hearing yourself say them. I agree with that. Absolutely. But even more than that, like I think I was taught Bible reading like means something if you squeeze dry everything that can possibly be in this tiny little bit and and sadly accept the sort of received wisdom on this bit that no one understands that I, that is often how i've been taught to read the bible whereas the way that i think you and i have been increasingly reading the bible like lots and lots over and over again mm. like uh, two or three times a year at least um jesus makes you realize afresh something glorious about a word you know you haven't been given a new word you have discovered in in a almost intangible almost inarticulable sense what those words you already knew actually mean like that uh, a, a phrase that comes up again in bart a lot is taking something seriously mm. and i love that i i haven't found a better way of saying it some people misunderstand that when i say it or, or when he says it but it's like you know when you read a bible verse and it's like you've read it for the first time and and it's not because you couldn't even memorize it, that you, you couldn't repeat it or comment on it or theologize from it. But it's like the act of hearing it again and again, often with other people saying it next to you mm. in church or hearing yourself say it as you read it out loud in the evening or praying it because you've learned a prayer that has that phrase in it. Suddenly, like often like two or three times a week, that word that you have said so many times will be like a completely new thing. Um, but because this is a living word, because it reveals the living word. Like, I, I don't say that's true for everything. Like, if you spend all your time reading Jane Austen again, sorry, I don't know where that came from. But like, mm -hmm. you will eventually exhaust it. There mm. won't be anything more for you to say. But these words said by Christians about Jesus, the living word, have the power to continually sort of reform and become bigger and more beautiful in our minds. So, yeah, like. The, the answer to 4,000 messages a day that mean nothing is to just drench ourselves in the words that mean everything, <laughs> you know, yes. at any opportunity. And, uh, you know, uh, if I can just tag on a little thing there, we've got quite a few non-literate people who are coming to our church services at the moment. What's quite exciting about that is that some of them are now beginning to just enjoy the bit in the service where we say one thing mm -hmm. and they don't even know what it means yet but they know it means something and eventually they're going to pick it up like there's a prayer um this is my testimony from when i was sort of teenager uh there's a prayer you pray in the anglican church before you come to the communion table uh we do not presume to come to this thy table merciful lord trusting in our own righteousness but in thy manifold and great mercies we're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table that little bit and for years i heard it as by your manifold and great mercies we're not worthy to come and gather the crumbs under your table and i was like so because he's really merciful we're not allowed to get down on our hands and knees under his table and and you know it was like that's how little i understood what i was saying and it was a lot of big words but even when i started to understand what some of those words meant i was just like this is just nonsense it doesn't mean anything mm -hmm. and then i realized where the full stop comes and it's like you know actually you know you know like and suddenly it starts to mean stuff but like mm -hmm. that wasn't a waste all those years where I listened to it and had no idea what I was saying. Now I can say it without even thinking. Mm. That's good. That's like a real fruit to have the words in you. And and sometimes I don't think about what I say, but often I do. <laughs> and, you know, 
that that's a precious and glorious thing uh, with someone who probably couldn't give you a very articulate description of the two natures of Christ or, you know, the um, uh, e even the Trinity, you know, something as simple as that. Like they couldn't even talk to you about that, but they do know this stuff. So, you know, that's how you have words mean something again, just by saying them again and again with, with faith, with our eyes on Jesus. Absolutely. And we've had a similar story here at, at our church where we've had uh, lots of people with English as a second language or a mm. third language or just very little English uh, at all. And we found that they want to and we want to be a, a church community that comes together and we don't separate to our different language churches. Of course, we have things throughout the week where we're studying the scriptures and, and praying in our own languages. But when we gather together on a Sunday, we are coming together and, and we're working as hard as we can to make you know, our service is accessible as, as possible to all who come. But we have got numerous, like we're in Manchester and we've got numerous languages spoken in the congregation. But it is in English, um, though we do have liturgy translated uh, into, into Farsi. Uh, but one thing I've found is, is a similar thing, that those bits of the service where we're just repeating the same thing again and again and again suddenly becomes a, a bit of the service where these people can connect into and you know, look, week one, are they going to? Are we all? Are any of us going to understand all of the liturgy, all that we're saying? No. Tell you what, though, the hundredth time you've done it, um, you know, you'll 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 be somewhere. You'll have understood something. But more than that, because it's not just about understanding things; it's about reforming mm. uh, our minds, our lives, uh, our loves into uh, Christ-likeness and towards Him. Mm. Um, so I guess if we come back full circle that question what do you do do what the church has always done yeah don't have to reinvent the wheel which is particularly useful i think for church planters and perhaps those involved in church revitalization and that word is interesting at church revitalization you know, how do you how do you bring life to a church that's dying or um uh perhaps even in maintenance mode we don't have to come up with anything anything new in that sense. It's Jesus is the life giver. He is the man full of life, the one who mm. gives his spirit. And uh, we have all these wonderful habits, practices where he promises to encounter us and change us and breathe his life into us. Scriptures are a wonderful thing, prayer, mm. all that we've, we've spoken about. I think it was, I, I may be mauling this or misquoting this, uh, but I think it was C.S. Lewis who said something like, you know, it's the fool who removes something of which he doesn't know why it's there. And sometimes we can do that when it comes to, to liturgy or set prayer or communion or preaching and think, actually, that's the problem. Let's get rid of that. Try something new. Uh, and I think we should want to caution that. But there'll be those, I'm sure, today who've been listening to this and thinking, well, this isn't where I'm at. Perhaps even disagree with some of what's been said. But hopefully it's been, it's, you know, been an honest conversation. Any, any concluding thoughts there, Josh? something I meant to talk more about was just how uh, up and down and round and round and slow it's been with people. Um, and particularly just this question, uh, and this is more me kind of airing my uncertainties really. Like it is quite hard to know where people are with Jesus. Um, I Nothing is straightforward and clear cut, I would say with anyone that we have had. I, I think there are some glorious testimonies of people whose lives seem to have been quite drastically transformed. Um, something my dad said, he's a minister as well. 
uh, which which maybe you'll resonate with, is you you know you learn not to be surprised as a church minister about the stuff going on in people's lives, um, and and I I still have as a hang up from conservative evangelical stuff, um, not that it's all bad and things, but uh, very exacting standards of holiness, which I mostly manifested in feeling like I never measured up to them. Um, uh, spend any time in church ministry and you learn to let go of them quite fast <laughs> you know not not in the sense of uh you know what we will be is not yet be made known one John three you know um but when we see him we will be like him for we will see him as he is you know that bit in one corinthians where um paul gives thanks for them even though he knows the terrible stuff that's going on there will come times for rebuking for sin absolutely and there are times where i've done that and uh people have reacted badly uh, but I think there are other occasions where the the mode. I actually we did a talk on um, uh, Matthew five seven uh, twenty seven to thirty two. So sex relationships and divorce, and it, the the way I wanted to try and present that was, um, and I still agonise about whether it was right. Here is this incredible way of life Jesus makes available to us. None of us are living it yet. Come and discover how to do it. And and I, I think the, the the last thing I really want to say is that takes a long time, and it. I I am st- despite knowing I shouldn't be, I am still sometimes shocked, disappointed at where quite established members of church can be on quite sort of apparently basic discipleship issues, and if it takes us a long time to learn things because of the repetition thing. Oh, you got to have buckets of patience. Like I, I'm getting to the point where it's just really good if they're there every week. Let's start with that. Like uh, let, let's, and even that certainly isn't everyone in the church. Um, and there are there are sometimes reasons why people can't. You know, uh, we've got quite a few people who have anxiety, find lots of people. Or, you know, just got to be so gentle and so patient with people. And you know, they're Jesus' precious sheep for whom he died. You know, Romans 14 stuff all over. Don't you know? Jesus is far more worried about causing people to stumble than is about making sure they do everything right. I think, I think that's right. Uh, and and this is where I love people to write in. And that, that's been, that's been a learning curve for me in a church revitalization situation, because I think we, we talk a good game in the conservative student churches. Everyone knows the right way to talk. Everyone knows you don't admit to sleeping with your girlfriend before you married. You don't admit to getting lashed on Saturday. You don't admit to um, uh, basically worshiping mammon all week. Or you find ways of saying it that's socially acceptable. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm a doctor, you know, but that's because I'm working really hard for the gospel rather than because I want loads of money. You know, like th- there's all kinds of ways we we package our sin that make it seem like we're all living a good life. And actually, in a situation like this, no one's bothering to package their sin. They're just being like everybody else most of the time. And the thing that means they're not like everyone else is the fact that they're there at all <laughs> in church rather than wherever else they could be. And And I think I've begun to just say, if someone is physically there, that's incredible. Uh, and and to be celebrated and as far as possible i want to treat them as a believer who has a long way to go and you know i think one thing is actually through talking with a fellow vicar about discipleship this last year we found ourselves returning to to the early church and just saying Mm. look what can we learn from these guys you know these guys who learn from the apostles who learn from christ and thinking about the catechumenate Mm. and you know one thing that's very simple point about that is is one thing that struck me is that 
the early church, because they saw becoming a Christian was becoming a citizen of a new kingdom under King Jesus, that that takes time. Yeah. So the, the catechumenic course could be up to three years. Yeah. You know, where you're you know, perhaps learning, learning the creed, learning theology, learning the habits and the practices of the faith, learning the language of the faith. I mean, in Manchester, we have a lot of people who move here from other countries, other cultures. Uh, and I was sat on a, on a table last week with, with a bunch of them. We were talking about actually what should expectations be of people um, coming from another country to, to the UK. And it was interesting because they, all, all those that had made that journey were arguing, we should assimilate, you know, we should learn this culture, we should learn the language and all of this. Uh, it was just fascinating hearing that from them. And then recognizing, look, okay, yeah, and then that that takes time. It takes time to learn a language. It takes time to learn the humor of another culture. It ta- takes time to learn the the habits and the rhythms of of another culture. And I think I was just reflecting on it, thinking, well, that is kind of like discipleship. And sometimes yeah. I, because I'm often so harsh on people, which is so wrong, that I, I want things to be done instantly. I want I want to see change overnight. Um, even though in my own life it, that's not happened, yeah, it's been a yeah. long, slow journey with Jesus, and He's been so patient with me. Mm. Um, it's it's not that we don't want any movement, but it is this long, long journey of life with Jesus, keeping our eyes on Him, following Him, learning from Him how to live, how to think, how to belong, mm. um, and doing that together. Um, yeah. But it is, you know, Jesus took three years with his disciples. <laughs> I think the early church kind of picked up on that and said, well, probably takes three years to introduce people to what it means to be. I mean, that was the thing. That was the introductory course. That was the yeah. kind of like CE. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, come and do three years of learning what it is to be a citizen in Jesus' kingdom. But I think that that, that wasn't because, I, I don't think that was because they were putting these massive burdens on people. No. It was just saying, this is the the... the following jesus is not just adding a few a few bullet points to what you already think or mm. a few little practices to the ways that you live it's a complete overhaul it's life mm. as it's meant to be lived and that does take time to learn and, and as you've already said this side of eternity we're never going to arrive into all that the lord jesus has for us we've got eternity uh, eternity mm. to keep our eyes fixed on him and learn from him uh, life um any any final thoughts there josh Catechumen is an amazing idea. Uh, I've, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think I should say I've been here about a year and a few months. So I think that we read this morning uh, uh, with our staff team, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, for I resolved to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. Um, that was, I think that was particularly important for Corinth. And I think a major thing that has been important is here is just we will always constantly talk about jesus but it's kind of just just be about him like we'll we'll work out what it means to be about him as you fully sign up for him if you see what i mean so i i think the catechumenate thing i'm looking forward to as sort of year two it's like okay you guys are on board you like what you've seen of jesus now we're going to start to work out how we really do being his disciples and i i think that's right because uh you're not yeah i don't think it's belonging before believing Mm -hmm. i don't quite hold with that Mm -hmm. i think they are already believing by being there (laughs) if you see what i mean like that that is a sign of faith now in our culture if there were a lot of nominal christians showing up 
who were just there for the kicks or for the kudos or something, then we'd, we'd have a different situation. As things are now, if you've got someone physically in your building in the Church of England, they have already come a long way, I think. Mm. I think that's fair to say, um, especially if they're there more than once. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's right, but I that... so, yeah. I mean that's that's someone who's pretty committed these days. I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's not good that that's the case. But no, no. If, it... if you if you're not going to be despairing at how, you know, not good everyone's discipleship is, which I think is where a lot of conservative evangelicals have ended up. Um, and if your your vision is for a long journey that they're going to begin, thinking of people as wow, they're here, they they've been here in church twice this month, isn't that amazing? You know, in, in a year's time, if this keeps up. And with all constantly presenting Jesus to them every time you get an opportunity, maybe we'll be able to talk about the Trinity. Maybe we'll be able to talk about how you uh, love your wife and how you uh, do work and how you bear witness to your friends and uh, how you control your tongue and all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. But it, but it's, I guess, for us particularly as as preachers, as ministers, it's 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 just laying out a vision of Jesus that that makes people want to go. Wow, I just want to be where mm. he is. Uh, I want to learn more of him um together with the church family and i think at our very best we're like we're trying to be like john the baptist isn't it behold yeah. the lamb of god who takes away yeah. the sins of the world how about i end with just reading a little bit from awesome. robert murray mcshane and which says learn much of the lord jesus for every look at yourself take 10 looks at christ mm. he's altogether lovely such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners even the chief, live much in the smiles of God, bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Josh, thank you. Glory. This has been thanks, a, a, such, a, such a good conversation. So thanks so much. Thanks, man. God bless.